to introduce myself. My name is George Wojcic, and um, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Urban Book Circle. So thank you for taking the time to speak with the Urban Book Circle. Thanks, brother. Thank you, thank you. Um, with us is Stan Efferding, an IFBB professional bodybuilder and power lifter. And um, he's also the inventor of the vertical diet, as you can tell by the t-shirt there. And, uh, <laughs> and I just wanted to uh, ask, um, if you could introduce someone to the vertical diet, how would you go about introducing it? Like, let's say they don't know anything about it. Sure. Well, I would say first and foremost that uh, all diets work when they're strictly adhered to. Uh, and that the best diet's the one you'll follow. And compliance is the science. I'll say that in general terms about any diet. And then the vertical diet really intends to provide people the opportunity to be successful long-term, weight loss maintenance, by addressing things like hunger and energy. And so I use mostly uh, whole foods, highly bioavailable, micronutrient-dense, easy-to-digest foods, uh, and create more of a lifestyle, things that people would prefer to eat long-term. It's not a short-term thing. It's uh, something that I want folks to be able to do as part of their normal lifestyle. So really the vertical diet was intended to give people uh, to satiate them and give them better energy because hunger and uh, lack of energy are the two biggest reasons why people fall off of diets. And coming from the industry I came from, uh, the bodybuilding figure, physique, bikini, powerlifting, strongman industry, uh, there's been a lot of really bad diets that have permeated the industry over the years that have caused people to uh, be overly restrictive uh, in the dieting, uh, in the weight loss end of the business, and to be uh, too, too inclusive, I should say, uh, you know, just a free for all of pizza, pasta, pancakes in the weight gain side of the business. And I, I've seen problems on both sides. So I designed a diet that was intended to uh, help people stay healthy, uh, as healthy as they can throughout their competitive venture. Because as you know, competing is a, a very rigorous thing that takes a toll on the body. Uh, and I, my intention with good nutrition, good sleep, good hydration, and some other uh, fundamental lifestyle changes is to uh, just optimize people's health throughout either um, uh, pursuit, whether it be weight loss or weight gain. And uh, I noticed one thing that uh, it's interesting to me is uh, a lot of people from various different fitness backgrounds, they're drawn to your diet. And they tell me they don't look at it as a diet. They look at it as... Uh, kind of like a, a new way of, like a new way of life basically, because it's very sustainable. Do you find that it's very sustainable? Yes, indeed. I think that what's often happened in this, in this professional dieting industry, the bodybuilding figure physique bikini industry, is we've over the years gotten more and more restrictive. Egg whites, tilapia, broccoli, and that pretty much summarizes the, the typical guru diets for these folks. And I've gone back to uh, the kinds of foods that are more micronutrient dense, easier to digest, more necessary for athletes in particular, or even busy uh, dad bods and soccer moms who like to CrossFit and have to chase their kids around and uh, you know endure a lot of stress with their work. And I keep a lot of foods in there that have historically been demonized. You go to a guru dieter and he'll tell you to avoid red meat, to avoid dairy, to avoid salt, to avoid fruit. I lead with those foods. I think they're the most micronutrient dense. 
They help you the most with satiety and with more energy. Things like iron, B12, zinc, choline, magnesium, calcium, uh, all of those things, you know, good fiber uh, for satiation, adequate iodine for thyroid function. So I lead with more of a micronutrient focus initially. Um, I know that calories are king and that macronutrients, particularly protein, is critical for maintaining lean body mass. But none of those diets are particularly sustainable if you don't address some of the more common problems, particularly in weight loss, uh, and especially with women, the female triad, anemia, low iron, amenorrhea, cessation of the menstrual period, osteoporosis, inadequate calcium. Uh, those things are very common in dieters uh, beyond uh, just the, the fact that they're tired and hungry all the time. Uh, so I, I try and address those. I try and wipe away some of the myths in the industry and let people know that it's okay to consume those foods and not just okay, but it's actually optimal in terms of diet maintenance. Are there any um, foods that you would consider off limits in the vertical diet? You know, it's not a good food, bad food scenario, really. It's a good, better, best equation. And I've said that, you know, chicken can be good, but steaks better. It really is. It's three times higher in iron, six times higher in zinc, and uh, like nine times higher in B12. Uh, it's more satiating. It uh, has a lower polyunsaturated fat uh, ratio, omega-6 to omega-3, because the ruminant animals can, um, uh, they, uh, they can convert uh, through uh, with a ruminant, a ruminant has a four-chambered stomach that ferments cellulose fiber and can convert those omega-6s into omega-3s. So I'm, I lead with those. It's not to say you can't have chicken in the diet, but you certainly shouldn't demonize steak. It's, it's a priority. I do filter all of my foods through what's called a low FODMAP diet. It's been my experience, me personally, I know that's an anecdote, but also amongst the vast majority of my clients, and those are testimonials, but also in the research that shows that people who present with IBS and IBD and other autoimmune or digestive disorders have about a 60 to 80% success rate in relief from a lot of those symptoms uh, when they use a low FODMAP diet, which is considered an elimination diet, but it's pretty generous. There's over a hundred items on that diet. So while some people might criticize that as being restrictive, I think it's selective. And I think it puts people in a better position to uh, have some, some more comfort, some relief from some of those symptoms of gas and bloating, and even worse with those IBS and IBD and Crohn's and uh, those kinds of things. So admittedly, that's the one restriction that I try and at least lead with. I don't say that the high FODMAP foods are bad, but I like to start with the low FODMAP menu because it's scientifically proven to be successful for so many people. And in my experience, particularly amongst athletes initially, more than uh, a, a large percentage of people present with some of those digestive disorders. And unfortunately, the general public has started to adopt these guru diets, these bikini girl diets, because they see these girls on stage in a bikini in the best shape of their life. Uh, and then they follow their diet program. And they end up with a host of these same problems, the digestive problems, the anemia, the amenorrhea, the osteoporosis, the exhaustion, the fatigue, the low thyroid and their dry skin and hair and nails, uh, uh, hair falling out, you know, biotin deficiencies, 
all of those things are commonplace. They end up at the doctor's office getting a shot for iron and B12 and D3 and glutathione and what have you because they're exhausted and fatigued and uh, from the diet. So uh, that's the purpose of this is really to just try and uh, put people in a better position to feel better throughout the diet because uh, you know they're not going to stick with it long term and it should be a lifestyle and I think people prefer to eat the kinds of foods that I just mentioned. Just by looking at your Instagram, I've seen uh, people uh, heal themselves of some serious health issues that they've had for over 10 years just by adhering to your diet and to exercise. Do you think that that is um, something you planned on doing with your diet or that's just kind of like a nice added bonus? Oh no, absolutely. That's what I led with. Uh, I did a video a rant on YouTube called, if you want to be healthy, don't compete. And I realized that, and I, I defined the difference between health and fitness, fitness being the ability to perform a particular duty or task. The fitness level required to be a world's strongest man um, is not healthy. The fitness level required to be a UFC fighter or even a 14-year-old gymnast competing in the Olympics is not healthy. Uh, a lot of the things that I put my body through throughout the years, bulking up to over 300 pounds many times throughout my career to be the best power lifter I could be, dieting down to five body fat to be the best bodybuilder I could be. Uh, those things aren't necessarily healthy. And so a lot of what I did for myself and what I do for my clients and now for the average population is really mitigate damage. I look at all the markers of health. I get blood tests done and I look at their kidney and liver enzymes and their cholesterol function and their blood pressure and blood sugars. And I pay careful attention to those throughout the process. And I, I use these foods and like you said, the lifestyle changes um, optimizing sleep, taking 10 minute walks after meals, um, making sure the micronutrients are, are in the diet. Uh, and I'm making sure they have adequate supplementation of things that are hard to get from food. Vitamin D3 and magnesium are, are the two that are, are most prevalent. And uh, in that way, uh, I think I've been able for myself and for my clients in particular, and that includes both athletes and normal folks who I've gotten blood tests from and then repeated blood tests over many months or years, uh, they've improved their health markers. I will say this, 95% uh, of health benefits are realized strictly from the weight loss itself, irrespective of the diet. I'm not claiming to do something magic over here. The McDonald's diet that I talked about in my obesity rant, where the professor ate 1,850 calories a day and uh, walked for 30 or 40 minutes a day, and he lost 30 pounds. Uh, and his blood sugars went down, his blood pressure went down, um, his cholesterol went down, eating McDonald's every single day. But he ate at a deficit and he lost weight and he did exercise and he walked throughout that process. So uh, as we open, uh, the best diet's the one you'll follow. All diets work when they're strictly adhered to. And now I will say that, uh, that uh, the health benefits are realized from the weight loss itself. The problem is uh, weight loss is actually quite easy. Most people do lose weight when they go on a diet. This has been studied extensively by the weight control registry. 95% uh, of people gain it back within three years. And so I focus a lot on compliance. We've covered a lot of the things that, that uh, in terms of diet and lifestyle that I think are, are easier to comply with. I don't um, prescribe those over-restrictive egg white, tilapia, and broccoli diets uh, because it's not a lifestyle. It's not sustainable. And I don't prescribe an extensive amount of steady-state cardio. Uh, it's not terribly effective for weight loss. 
uh, to begin with. The research is clear on that. Uh, and it's not enjoyable or sustainable. That's the first thing that people sacrifice when they get busy and um, they can't get, make it to the gym to do their 40 minutes on the treadmill, which is not of much value for weight loss anyhow. And I focus on compliance things like um, meal prep. Meal prep's an enormous, it's the number one um, compliance thing that you can do for long-term uh, weight loss maintenance. And so I focus on things like, like meal prep, things like having a coach, you know, or uh, somebody that's, you know, in this battle with you, whether it be a significant other, a training partner, et cetera. Um, and then tracking that which gets measured gets improved. I, all of my clients send me pictures of their meals every day. They send me their daily uh, weight, their daily hours of sleep. Um, and we weekly, we look at their waist measurements and progress pictures. So tracking is essential, uh, I think, for long-term compliance. It just holds you accountable. It's something that uh, makes you actually see uh, on a day-to-day -day basis whether you're doing the things that you need to do to be successful because nobody can do it for you and there's no magic out there. Right. And uh, one thing uh, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned the importance of sleep. Is that one thing that gets yeah. overlooked often? It, it's the number one thing. And I've said that if you don't get seven plus hours of sleep, you're not on the vertical diet. I cannot fix that with food. No diet can. I mean, my co-author is a PhD in exercise phys and a registered dietitian. And he was head of the dietetic department at UNLV. And his master's thesis was on IGF-1. And they showed a dramatic downregulation after just one night of short sleep. And that affects your blood sugars and it affects your blood pressure. And of course, it affects the amount of muscle tissue that you're going to um, retain while dieting. Uh, most dieters who don't sleep enough lose a lot of, of muscle tissue and not fat. The body becomes stingy and holds on to the fat. So I lead with sleep. And it's the most important thing. I don't have any of my clients get up at 4 a.m. and do cardio uh, unless they go to bed at 7 p.m. <laughs> Most people don't. So uh, I don't do that. It's not terribly effective, not sustainable. And, and it can actually have an adverse effect if you're only getting five hours of sleep at night. So that's the number one thing I focus on. It's the number one thing that most people burn the candle at both ends. And they make that sacrifice in order, uh, I think, to possibly just get everything done that they think they need to do in a day. My biggest discovery or, or concern or complaint with clients is that they just tend to watch TV or be on their phone too late into the evening. And it has a double whammy. Not only does it, does it uh, impair the, the duration, the sleep quantity, but it hurts the sleep quality because it affects your circadian rhythms and your melatonin release. And that's just looking at those blue lights. And so I really, really try and get people to set a bedtime uh, a reasonable bedtime that allows them to, to at least have an opportunity to get over seven hours of sleep. And then at least an hour or two before that bedtime to set an alarm to go to bed, not to wake up, but to go to bed that tells them, okay, it's time to shut off the TV and phone because that's going to have a really dramatic negative impact on the quality of your sleep. There's a host of other, what I call good sleep hygiene items on this list in my vertical diet ebook. Um, and I'll go down a list, a kind of little checklist for folks. Um, one of the biggest ones is to wake up at the same time every morning and get exposed to sunlight. And if you're in an environment that doesn't allow that, then you can get a, a, uh, uh, a light that uh, you eat that with, at breakfast that has at least 10,000 lumens. Uh, you can just order those off of Amazon for 30, 40, 50 bucks, whatever it takes. But that actually starts your circadian clock so that at night, 
uh, you're tired to go to sleep and your melatonin is released and, and that puts you in a position to have a successful sleep. So wake up at the same time every morning, get exposed to sunlight. Um, dark room, quiet room, cool room, blackout blinds, earmuffs if you need them, air conditioning set, you know, 69, 68, something down there uh, is, is really important. There's a few other things uh, that Dr. Matthew Walker, uh, one of the uh, uh, sleep doctors, uh, that's uh, you often see on Joe Rogan and other shows that I've looked at a lot of his resources over the years. Uh, he says that taking a warm shower before bed can help uh, with cooling the core, which is important. Um, a worry journal is actually been shown in science, just writing things down at night before bed, having a yellow pad on the end table to offload them from you so you don't sit there and, and stress about those kinds of things. Um, in terms of, of supplementation, magnesium, before bed, three or 400 milligrams with dinner, uh, really is supposed to help with sleep. Um, also, uh, things like taking a nap. You don't wanna to nap too late in the day or for too long, because it'll get you into REM sleep and start to affect you, be groggy and the like. Um, but earlier naps in the day, noon or one, you know, for 15 or 20 minutes is, is adequate, certainly uh, not much longer than that. Uh, little things like, um, people who wake up or if you snore and wake up tired or if you're holding your breath at night that might be indicative of sleep apnea in which case you should get a CPAP and, and those are sometimes expensive or time-consuming and you got to get a doctor and do a sleep study uh, you know the doctors 1500 bucks to sleep the, the machines another 1500 two thousand dollars through a doctor I've actually and much to the chagrin of the medical community been referring my clients who can't afford or don't have time to do that uh, been telling them to go to walmart.com and ordering a dream station. That's one of the latest and greatest uh, CPAPs that I use that, uh, you know, I've been using a CPAP since 1993 when I first got up over 230, 240, 250 pounds uh, and the girth of the neck started to crowd the airway. And now the machines are so smart. They interpret your breathing and they give you the air that you need and they relax when you're exhaling. Uh, my last sleep study that I went to, they hooked me up to a dream station in the morning. The doctor looked at the number on the screen and told me that's where I should set it at because it actually uh, determines that. Uh, so uh, Craigslist has them. Just get a new mask. And uh, it's probably the number two piece of feedback I get from people all over the world that, uh, that say when they implement the use of a CPAP, when they have sleep apnea, uh, how life-changing it is for them. And it's, uh, it's just a remarkable thing to do. Um, it, if you're getting up to pee frequently throughout the night, you may, because if you have apnea, you're not getting into REM or stage four restorative sleep. And that's when antidiuretic hormone is released that stops the production of urine in the kidneys. So you're going to keep producing urine all night and have to get up and pee because you're not getting into the sleep stage that stops that. Um, if you don't need a, a, a CPAP, you don't have apnea and you're still getting up frequently throughout the night, Things like drinking too much too late, caffeine. Uh, something that helps with that is just taking about 500 milligrams of sodium before bed, which is a quarter teaspoon, not a lot. Um, and I, I like to use sodium chloride tablets, just little buffered salt tablets, just swallow one with a little bit of water. That can actually help increase antidiuretic hormones so that you won't pee as much during the night or can stay asleep longer before you need to. So, those are all recommendations that, that uh, I think some of the professionals have, have put forth as having scientific evidence to uh, benefit sleep. But I find the biggest problem is that people just 
don't do what they know they need to do because they're distracted by their phone or their TV and they go to bed too late and wake up too early. That's, that's the nuts and bolts of it. Right. Um, what's your opinion on uh, people who work nights? If someone were to go up to you and tell you, Stan, you know, I want to get fit. I want to do the vertical diet, but I work the night shift. What would you tell them? It's, it's never ideal because it's not consistent with circadian rhythms, which are based on, uh, you know, the light uh, and dark cycle. But that having been said, I work with a lot of um, nurses, doctors, firemen um, who do work the night shift. And there's a couple of things they tend to do that, that I don't recommend. They tend to come home in the morning and go to sleep for three or four hours and then get up and go about their day and then try and sleep for a couple more hours later in the day. That is not optimal. It's better to try and position yourself to get as much sleep as you can in a row because, as you know, sleep comes in cycles. And each cycle has a longer and longer REM and stage four restorative sleep. And as you sleep longer and longer through the night, your restorative sleep uh, improves throughout the later cycles. And that's where I want people to be to get the ideal benefit. So that's a big deal. Um, oftentimes, a lot of those folks will present with low testosterone. Uh, the firemen in particular, even their 20s, will come up with 150 nanograms per milliliter of testosterone, which is just horrendous. Uh, and it, it's fundamentally based on, on their lack of sleep and dividing those, those sleep uh, cycles up. So I would encourage them to, and oftentimes they have to set the environment better. They do have to get blackout blinds because the light poking through the window is going to impair their, their uh, melatonin release. And the noise, when the neighbor's running the lawnmower, you're going to have to get some sort of earphones on and do the best you can to control that environment. So those are things that I encourage them to do. It's a difficult situation. I, I did another rant called Why I'm a Hypocrite, because when I was competing, I was controlling all those factors. I was sleeping nine plus hours a night, napping every afternoon. All I did was eat, sleep, and train. I didn't have uh, to work. I didn't have kids. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sensitive to the fact that I was in a unique position to be able to focus all my energy onto one thing, which is uh, the reason I was successful. But just trying to mitigate some of those hazards as best you can and put yourself in a position to be the most successful uh, is, is important. And it takes a lot of discipline. In um, a few of your videos, uh, you mentioned the importance of uh, walking. And um, I noticed people really like these videos where it's just you, you know, filming yourself talking while walking. And um, it's something everyone can do. And do you think that that is one thing that also can be overlooked? For example, walking right after eating? Like, a, is that maybe oh, like, yeah. a, like a simple? That's huge. Yeah, it's huge. I did a rant. I think uh, 10 life changing things from walking or walking changes your life. I can't remember the title of it, but. I went down a list of the benefits. Uh, taking a 10-minute walk after meals is twice as effective as metformin for controlling blood sugars. That's the number one prescribed type 2 diabetes medication in the world. And if you just take a walk after a meal, you can reduce the spike and the duration of blood sugar, and then, of course, insulin right behind it, uh, what they call the area under the curve. And it's twice as effective as preventing or reversing type 2 diabetes. And that's just with respect to blood sugars. As for digestion, it's huge for um, preventing GERD or acid reflux that a lot of people suffer from. It's great for improving digestion, the gas and bloating. It increases enzymatic action and muscular contraction that helps with digestion. 
Uh, it, it helps with recovery, of course, because you're moving frequently throughout the day and getting a lot of blood flow into your joints and into your muscles, which is a key component of recovery is blood flow. Uh, um, something that you, you know, don't get nearly the benefit when you try and implement uh, what I call passive therapies, such as um, electric stem or even massage or those kinds of things, uh, those roto guns. Uh, those are very superficial, very temporary. They don't have anywhere near the benefit of just moving frequently throughout the day. In terms of health benefits, they've studied uh, populations of, of office workers. And they split them into two groups, those that moved frequently throughout the day and those that had an equivalent amount of exercise at the end of the day. It was the three 10-minute walks versus a 30-minute bout at the end of the day. And they found that the group that moved frequently throughout the day had a significant improvement in all-cause mortality uh, and general health markers, whereas the group that moved at the end of the day did not. And so it didn't seem as though they could undo the long duration of sitting throughout the day. I've always said that sitting is the new smoking. Uh, I don't know how accurate that is, but uh, nonetheless, uh, the 10-minute walks are also much more sustainable. I mentioned I don't assign 40 minutes of steady-state cardio on the treadmill to any of my clients because I ask them all to three 10-minute walks, which are more effective, more sustainable. Uh, and you can do them anywhere. You know, I, I travel all the time. I've been in 10 countries and 50 states in the last two years, and I've been able to maintain my three 10-minute walks a day uh, throughout all of that time whether it's at the airport while I'm waiting for, waiting for luggage or if I get up in the morning at the hotel or certainly after dinner at night, even if I'm at a restaurant, I'll just go out the door and walk for five minutes and turn around and walk back and jump in my car. It's something you can, you can absolutely sustain uh, really easy. All of my clients have just loved the change because they hate steady state cardio. And I should say, like I, with diets, <laughs> what's the best diet? The one you'll follow. What's the best exercise, the one you'll do? I would never discourage someone from going to the gym and walking on a treadmill for 40 minutes if that was their preference, right? It just, it's been my experience. I haven't found anyone yet that really enjoys that. There might be a masochist out there somewhere that thinks that 40 minutes on the treadmill is, is fun. But for the most part, I just want them, uh, you know, and that's, that's in excess of what's recommended for uh, for general health. They, I think it's recommended about 120 minutes a week. Uh, that's 210 minutes a week, three 10-minute walks. And then if people are concerned about um, cardiovascular fitness, uh, really in terms of optimal health, that's been measured to be about a, uh, you know, VO2 max is measured, I think, in METS, metabolic equivalents, and about a seven or eight METS is, a, is sufficient to get an optimal health benefit from uh, cardiovascular exercise, that's about a 13-minute mile. That's a brisk 10-minute walk. You can obtain a, a superior level of fitness just doing the 10-minute walks, but I also, of course, recommend that, that everybody weight train as a priority over any additional cardio work. Uh, so, And in weight training, uh, if you're weight training, uh, uh, I think, the way that you should, you're going to get an elevated heart rate. You're going you're gonna to get your your blood pressure uh, up significantly and your heart, heart rate up significantly. Uh, and I, I think that's adequate in and of itself. And the only additional um, cardio that I would do would be recommended as sports specific training for an athlete who had some demand that was beyond that, that could be provided with uh, 10 minute walks and weight training. Um, you recently uh, completed a 60 city seminar tour with uh, yeah. Bobby Summers shout out to him. He's awesome as well. And, um, yeah. and you uh, just started, I think it was today that you announced the militaryconverts.com. 
Yes. A little about that? Yeah, well, Bobby and I got together and we, uh, we traveled the whole country. We drove over 16,000 miles. We did 60 cities in 60 days, a seminar every single night, all 48 states in Washington, D.C. And we had over 4,000 people nationwide register for and attend our seminars. And it was, uh, it was a vertical diet seminar. Um, the added benefit was that Bobby Summers, who's a, a member of the FitOps organization who talks about mental health, um, he's a retired Iraqi war veteran, Purple Heart recipient, and there's a lot of the military veterans who have come home uh, with PTSD and are at high risk for suicidal behavior. And so the FitOps organization uh, put together a, a training camp to help these veterans learn um, or to obtain uh, a certificate for personal training so that they can go out in the workplace and help other people get fit, help them get fit, help others get fit. It gives them purpose, of course, helps them with some of the the foundational things that are important for mental health, which is good sleep and good exercise and good nutrition. Uh, and so that tour was extraordinary. And on that tour, Bobby and I talked about the fact that he used to be a recruiter for the army and was quite successful at recruiting. And one of the things that he did is he would get overweight applicants, which would traditionally uh, be discarded as, uh, you know, uh, not eligible. And he would help them lose some weight and they, and he would get them into the army and he had, a very good success with that. And so uh, we've rolled out a pilot program now with the U.S. Army, and we've, uh, we've got started here. We've just taken, uh, accepted 10 recruits that are otherwise qualified but overweight. And we just started on Sunday uh, introducing the program to them, and we're going to monitor them and help them make weight so they can get into the Army. And I think it's a, a real win-win for them and for the Army uh, to be able to uh, to solve this problem because these people are really, they really want to go and they're kind of at their wits end and they're not terribly knowledgeable about, um, about nutrition and physical fitness in general. And they've been doing a lot of things wrong by copying a lot of the stuff that we talked about earlier, the, the guru diets and the, and the uh, excessive cardio, and they're just not getting the results that they want. And so we're, uh, we're just launching that program to help them. And if, uh, if the army likes what we do and we can get a, good success, then we can roll that out um, nationwide. That's very cool to hear. Um, how rewarding was that doing that uh, 60 city tour where people were constantly reaching out to you and Bobby and telling you and Bobby how much this means to them? It's incredibly rewarding. I, you know, I, I do what I do because I lived this all my life for 30 years competing. Uh, and I try and, and now educate others. I, I think it should be easier than it is. I think it should be more enjoyable than it is. Uh, and so I, I just, I tried to put together a program that I, I thought was, that could be followed, that was effective, that made people feel great. And as I went around the country, it turns out that, that the vast majority of people who attended had already seen my videos, uh, read my vertical diet, um, implemented the program in most, in many in, or most cases, and just wanted to tell me about, to thank me and tell me about the success that they had realized. Uh, maybe something specific in terms of their performance or their health, uh, uh, you know, mental or physical, uh, or how they've utilized it to help others. And it's, it was, you know, just night after night after night, shaking hands and listening to stories and taking pictures. Uh, I was just blown away by the level of support. I've, I've never considered myself to be uh, anything more than a normal guy. I'm a blue collar worker, have been since I was a, a, a kid, you know, delivering newspapers and working at 7-Eleven. Uh, the things I've achieved in my life have been based just on, um, uh, you know, just hard work and discipline and consistency. I don't 
I think any of it's extraordinary. Um, and I, I think that if people applied the same methods that I've utilized, not just in nutrition, but in business, which I've had some considerable success as well, uh, that I think that, that they could realize you know, the same level uh, of success for themselves, whether it's health or their physical pursuit or whether it's in their business. And so I just try and share as much of that as I can with folks. And when I get stories that they utilize these methods uh, and it was successful for them and they do use the word life-changing and it, it's very humbling to hear it. Uh, we cried a lot on this trip <laughs> uh, with our, of course, with our military veterans, but also just the moms and dads and the, uh, the frontline workers, the police officers and firemen and nurses and, um, you know, people who lost their jobs as a result of COVID. Uh, we, we, you know, we had a lot of uh, a very emotional experience that I've, uh, it's very rewarding and, and I'm, I'm just grateful to have uh, had that opportunity. That's, that's really cool to hear. And uh, to cap off, where can uh, someone start the vertical diet? Should they get, should they start with the vertical diet 3.0 ebook? I think so. I poured everything into that. That's a culmination of 30 years of everything I've learned from college to competing, to coaching, to being coached, uh, to collaborating with other coaches and athletes, things I've learned from clients along the way. Uh, I've, I've tried to pour everything into it. It's an ebook. So you use a username and password to access it. So I keep updating it over time with anything new that I learn or I think is important. And the, uh, the, the future versions are always free to anybody who's bought a previous version. So uh, that's the same program I gave to Hofthor Bjornsson and to Brian Shaw and to Larry Wheels and uh, all of these big name people that everybody knows. And it's the same program I've given to thousands of people that you see weight loss testimonials from just dad bods and soccer moms on my vertical diet page. So of course, yeah, stanefforting.com is my website. I have a link there for my meal prep company, which I'm excited about because we made low FODMAP foods that are easy to digest and we don't use any vegetable oils and they're very affordable. The eBooks on there as well. And then um, there's a kind of a, a history of my journey on uh, at Stan Efforting, my Instagram page where you can uh, see the kinds of things that I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And then my YouTube is Stan Efforting as well. And that has all the rants, which I think are, uh, they're very well received. People love them. I put I a lot them. of time and energy into them. I, I'd like to say I just turned the camera on and, and, and blurted that out. But in fact, uh, I would spend sometimes days uh, and maybe even a week or more uh, trying to orchestrate that. I would do some research. I would write them. I would uh, rehearse them and record them. So uh, it's not, I didn't want to waste anybody's time. I watch a lot of podcasts or videos that are an hour long and I get five minutes worth of information and I'm a little frustrated by that. And so I'm constantly trying to pour out as much actual, practical, usable information as I can so that somebody who takes the time to watch can actually walk away with uh, something that's going to be a benefit to them. And the rants are just that. They're relatively brief, uh, but they're, they're packed with information that I think uh, is going to be very usable for most of the population. Thanks again, Stan. Uh, I learned a lot and I hope the viewers did as well. Much respect to you and um, hopefully people can, can get uh, as much out of this as I do. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thanks again. Take care.